When the Roses Bloom Again by Lee McCusker Read by Sam Gabriel Based on the works of J.K. Rowling Chapter 41 The Ways of War The Wizengamot gatherings were not joyous to attend on any occasion but the meeting taking place this morning was particularly somber. For Arcturus, the minister was only confirming what he already knew was coming, that Grindelwald was finally pursuing his ambitions out of the shadows and with more tenacity. Those that had chosen to ignore the threat were silent now. There was no laughter nor mocking the severity of what mankind faced. A war amongst wizards was one thing, but such a conflict between the muggles was another story entirely. Arcturus did not know what would come to pass in the coming months and years, but he was certain the world would change because of it. Grindelwald has invaded Denmark and Sweden, and he met little resistance, an exhausted minister finally explained. He did so before any defense could be mounted, and it is expected that he will cross over into Norway in the coming days. Is a defense of Norway planned? Lord Nod asked. Farley released a deep sigh. The ICW are dispatching men, but with how thinly spread they are with the defense of more tactically significant countries, I'm not expecting a positive outcome. The fact is, we need more men. We've had an influx of volunteers, Minister, Gabriel Moody announced. Unfortunately, they will have to be trained where they are deployed, but it cannot be said that Britain isn't doing its part. Folly nodded almost proudly. And what of the Muggles? Lord Yaxley questioned. You met with the Prime Minister, did you not? I did, Folly confirmed frustratedly. If truth be told, Chamberlain is doing his best, but he is not cut out to be a leader during times of war. I expect he will either resign or be replaced in the coming months. The man is a bag of nerves. So what are the Muggles doing? Yaxley pressed. Currently, they are preparing to deploy their own men to the continent, and their navy has been sent to blockade the Atlantic to preserve trade routes and block supplies being sent through to Germany, Folly informed them. It will be weeks before any significant fighting will take place amongst them, but the Prime Minister is certain that this is merely the calm before the storm. Arcturus nodded his agreement. The fighting would come, and when it did, it would be as ferocious as it would violent. Do we know what caused this? Lord Boot asked. The Germans broke yet another agreement, Folly huffed. They invaded Poland, who is an ally of both Britain and France. An ultimatum was given and ignored. Now Poland is under the control of the Germans, and even the Russians arrived to stake their own claim on land. It is a very messy situation. Lord Nott shook his head disapprovingly. The Russians? They signed a pact with the Germans. Folly informed the lords and ladies. I don't know the ins and outs of it, but it is bad news. If the Russians form an alliance with them, the outlook is bleak. The members of the Wizengamot murmured amongst themselves. And what if Gundelvold does break the statute of secrecy? What then? Lord Longbottom called. Then the ICW will decide on what action to take, Folly answered. As yet he hasn't done so, only because he needs a firmer hold over more land— I expect that it will happen eventually, but all that is being done to prevent it is. Arcturus snorted as he shook his head. The ICW were as idle as the Wizengamot when it came to making decisions or taking necessary action. 
the idea that they were setting up defensive positions rather than attempting to claim back land that has already been taken did not sit right with him. Already the war was taking its toll on Arcturus, and the conflict was only in its infancy. Doria announced that she had been assigned to a specialist healing unit that would be treating wounded British volunteers. The only reprieve in this was that she wouldn't be sent overseas to carry out her work. Still, this only added to the stress he was already under from what Cassiopeia had done in Hogsmeade. None dared say anything to him directly, but Arcturus found himself faced with unveiled looks of suspicion. Most undoubtedly believed that he too had chosen to follow Grindelwald, though nothing could be further from the truth. Arcturus was loyal to his family first and foremost, and the family loyalty would never have been to a man like Grindelwald if his father was of sound mind. The Orion Black Arcturus had grown up with would have spat in the man's face had he suggested he become a traitor to his country and everything the Blacks stood for. His family may be considered dark, but the Blacks were British and proud of their heritage. As far as Arcturus was concerned, his father and siblings had not only turned their backs on the country that had allowed them to thrive, but they had also turned their backs on every Lord Black that had ever served on the Wizengamot. His nostrils flared in displeasure. He didn't care what the other lords and ladies thought. Arcturus was not like the rest of those he once considered family. He would be a loyal and just lord, like most of the others that had come before him. Cassiopeia had shown her true colors, and he only wished that Evans had succeeded in ridding him of her. Evans. Arcturus knew not what the man had become since they had graduated from Hogwarts, but to get the better of his older sister in a duel was no mean feat. Despite his feelings towards her, Cassiopeia was an exceedingly gifted and dangerous witch, and yet Harry Evans had evidently grown to be even more so. Arcturus had known the man had been talented in school with the way he had dispatched Malfoy and Parkinson and his ilk, but what he had grown into was something else entirely. Although he hadn't been seen since that night in Hogsmeade, his name had been on every pair of lips in Wizarding Britain, and there was no small part of Arcturus that hoped he would be one of those fighting on behalf of their country. Britain and the Wizarding World as a whole would need men like Harry Evans. It would be them that made the difference in the fighting to come, and if necessary, Arcturus would add himself into the mix. He hoped that it wouldn't come to that, but in his mind he knew that his presence could well be all but unavoidable if things continued to progress as they were currently doing. Belgium was in a state of panic. William had been deployed here with the rest of the British in anticipation of Grindelwald's arrival. Already several men suspected of colluding with the Dark Lord had been spotted in several countries, evidently bracing themselves for a full takeover. According to the ICW, there was a strong chance that the country had already been infiltrated from within, and that the magical government of Belgium already operated under Grindelwald's direction, though to the average witch and wizard on the street no such thing had occurred. Strangely, many did not appear to be concerned with losing control of their own country. William would even go as far as to say that most would welcome it. Grindelwald had support here, and the position of those that had come to defend the Belgians was a delicate one indeed. "'Why the bloody hell are we bothering to protect them if they don't want us to?' Yaxley grumbled as he, William, and a few others from their group patrolled the streets of Bruges. "'Because we don't want Grindelwald to take another country,' Gilbert, a muggle-born who had been chosen by Moody to join them, explained. "'We follow orders, Yaxley, and let those more important than us make the decisions.' William chuckled. Gilbert was good to have around. He always kept their mood lifted during rigorous training sessions with his dry wit, something he was seemingly determined to continue doing now that they had been deployed. Gilbert always had a look of mischief about him. It didn't help that he held a slight resemblance to a weasel and that his hair matched the color of the fur of them. If that wasn't enough, William found that the man was often up to something he shouldn't be. 
It turned out that Gilbert had volunteered to serve as an alternative to being brought up on charges for dealing in illicit goods. What those goods were, William knew not, and he hadn't asked. Gabriel had offered the man the opportunity to redeem himself in an alternative way, and here he was. "'And it seems pointless to me,' Yaxley muttered unhappily. "'If the buggers won't fight for themselves, why should we?' William conceded the man had a point, not that he would voice that. Gilbert was right. It was the likes of Diggory and the ICW that made the decision of where they were needed most. "'Hold up a second, Gilbert requested, peeling off to speak to a man who was waving him over. "'He's up to something.' Yanksley sighed. William nodded. The zone could be dropped in a desert and find an oasis. Yanksley snorted. He's quite handy to have hanging around there. At least we won't go without. What are you fiddling now? He asked as Gilbert returned. I've got a hot tip on some sausages, Gilbert explained with a wink. Sausages? Yanksley questioned William. You don't actually think you would tell a lord of the wizen gamut and the son of another lord what he's up to, do you? I suppose not, Yanksley mumbled. Come on, let's get back. Nothing's going to happen today. William nodded his agreement and gestured for the rest of the group to follow. They had been billeted a large hotel to live within whilst they were deployed in the city. Were it not for the circumstances that brought them here, William would have enjoyed it. Instead, he found himself away from home, away from his wife, and he didn't know when he would be going back. The war could drag on for years, and with the enormity of the task they faced and numbers to boot, he wasn't expecting a fast outcome. "'Anything to report, William?' Gabriel asked when they arrived. The Lord Potter shook his head. "'Nothing more than usual,' he sighed. "'The same people are lurking around, watching, I suspect. You?' Gabriel nodded. "'Now we've got some more lads on the way. They'll arrive tomorrow, but little else. I'm still hoping the Evans lad will volunteer. He'd be a great addition to our lot.' William released a deep breath. Gabriel spoke often of his wish for Harry to join them, not knowing that the young man had done more than most to put an end to the war in his official capacity. Somehow word had not spread that Harry was a hit wizard, and William would not break his trust. No, Gabriel was a friend, but Harry had all but become part of the family over the years he had gotten to know him. He would be, William agreed. Any lad that can send one of the blacks packing isn't to be messed with, Gabriel pointed out. Any idea what's happened to him? No one's seen Hyde nor Harris since what happened in Hogsmeade. He has stayed in touch with Jarlis, but I suppose he's keeping his head down. Few lords or ladies will be happy with him for getting the better of a pure blood, even if it was Cassiopeia Black. Moody laughed uproariously. Aye, your lot can't stand being outdone by a scum, he said mockingly. Scum? William asked with a raised eyebrow. Moody nodded. Most of them aren't like you, William, he pointed out. And they look down their noses at the likes of me and Evans because we aren't pure blunts, but who would you rather have watching your back in a fight? You'd pick us. We're dogs who have to scrap for everything we get. I can fight? Yaxley protested. Eh, you can use your wand, all right, Moody acknowledged. But you don't know what it's like to fight, not really. You will, though, and people see what you're made of. Instead of balking as William expected, Yaxley nodded challengingly before heading towards his room. There might be something to him. Moody mused aloud. Anyway, have you heard from your wife yet? No, William sighed. Angelica had not taken the news of his deployment well. Understandably, she assumed that Belgium would be as Poland had, and that Grindelwald would attack in the same way. William did not expect he would. One could say what they wished about his ambitions and approach to achieving them, but Grindelwald was not a fool. He would not try the same tact twice. She'll come round, 
Gabriel assured him. I go through this every time with my own wife, whenever I'm sent to do something foolhardy, as she calls it. Give it a week or two and she'll write. I hope so, William murmured. Charles had accepted the news with little more than a nod, seemingly having come to terms with what William was doing and why. His own foray into standing up for what was right seemed to have given him a better understanding of how the world worked. Angelica simply could not accept it. William could empathize with how she felt, could understand she was terrified that the same fate that had befallen his father would repeat itself with him, but he wished she could understand why he was here. Every potter and peverell that came before him and stood up to fight for those that couldn't had been amongst the first to fight for their country when needed. William, in good conscience as a proud potter, could not fail to live up to their example. Angelica knew this deep down, but she came from a family that had always comprised politicians and businessmen. The Follies weren't warriors. They were traitors, and there was no tradition to uphold, no example to follow when it came to times of war. For William it was different. He just hoped his wife realized that sooner rather than later. Hogwarts was different this year. The school had almost immediately turned from a place of wonder to one of nervousness. Even the first years couldn't enjoy the novelty of the castle before the news that war had been declared had broken. Many of the students had fathers, brothers, uncles, and cousins that would be fighting, some magical, others muggle. For the first time since Minerva had stepped into the castle for her own schooling, the breakfast tables were awash with as many muggle newspapers as there were editions of the Daily Prophet. These were passed around the Great Hall and read in between personal letters that had certainly increased in their frequency. The students were scared for their families, but they were safe here. Not that they took any comfort in it. It wouldn't be long before the first casualties of the fighting would be announced, and the nervousness would become fear. If there was anything positive to take away from what was unfolding outside of Hogwarts, it was the students realizing how petty the house rivalry was. Any animosity that would usually exist between them was absent. Minerva had even seen a sixth-year Slytherin girl comforting a first-year Gryffindor boy in the library. It was truly a shame it took such disaster for that to happen. Still, it was a small thing and Minerva would sooner have the castle the way it had been in previous years compared to what she was experiencing now. She glanced up towards the enchanted ceiling before her eyes roamed over the table of the students clad in silver and green trimmed robes. Despite everything, the worry, the nervousness, the somber mood that hung over all within the castle, there was one boy who had not been touched by any of it. Tom Riddle continued on as if nothing had changed, often shooting looks of disgust at his peers who cracked under the strain, and even smirking at those he had found himself at odds with. The boy lacked any empathy or care for anyone besides himself. He was cruel beyond typical pettiness that often plagued teenagers. Minerva even began to realize that he was reveling in the misery of those around him. Inevitably, her thoughts eventually shifted to Harry as they did when she observed the boy he had tasked her with watching. It had been almost three weeks since she had last seen or heard from him the kiss she had unashamedly stolen, now feeling like a distant memory. He was alive, of that she had no doubt, but she couldn't be certain of his safety. Wherever he was, whatever he was doing, she knew it was for the good of putting an end to Grindelwald, yet there was a selfish part of her that wanted him there. She missed him as much as she worried for him, and were it not for how busy she was kept, she would spend her days fretting. Minerva took a calming breath. He would write when he was able to, but until then— she, too, had her duties to fulfill. Albus had given her more classes to teach, including the entirety of the first-year syllabus that included working with the young half-giant that had joined them. Harry had been right about Hagrid. Rubeus was a timid but sweet boy that didn't have an aggressive bone in his body. 
for one so large, close to six and a half feet, he was softly spoken. Already he sported the quite impressive beard, and were it not for the rest of the students being so distracted by the troubling things, he would garner much more attention than he had. Any that looked at him would believe him already to be a man, but from what Minerva had seen, he was a lost boy who was more scared of his classmates than they were of him. She felt for him, and hoped that when he settled, he would come out of his shell a little more, though she had her doubts. Rubeus was not unfriendly towards any, and avoided conversation for the most part, but it was clear that he preferred the company of creatures. When he wasn't in class, he could be found by the edge of the forest, looking for something he could spend his free time with. Armando had already discussed it with him, and the boy had promised he would not venture in, even if he was compelled to do so. Minerva found it hard to believe his words. Even when she was teaching, she often caught him looking out of the window towards the thickets of trees. There was nothing that would keep him there, and it was only a matter of time before he plucked up the courage to break his word to the headmaster. Rubeus was quiet now, but it wouldn't last. "'Come, Minerva, you're teaching first today,' Albus reminded her from his place at the staff table. Minerva nodded as she stood, her eyes once more looking towards the enchanted ceiling. It was a gloomy morning, the weather reflecting her mood, and all it would take to change would be even a short note from Harry telling her that he was safe, and that she would see him again soon. Gellert nodded satisfactorily at the map of the world pinned to the wall of his study, pleased with the addition of Denmark and Sweden to his conquered lands. No more than a token force had opposed his own upon the invasion of each, a half-hearted attempt at best to please those of the ICW that would be watching. The Danes cheered for him as he walked casually through the magical streets that were lined by his own men. It filled Gellert with warmth to be received in such a manner and reaffirmed his belief in what he was doing. If only Albus could see me now, he murmured to himself. Come in, he called as a knock sounded at the door. Gellert, Weber is back, Cassie explained eagerly as she entered. Then send him in. The German entered the dark circles around his beady eyes speaking volumes of the lack of sleep he had endured. "'Take a seat, Weber,' Gellert offered as he sat behind his desk. "'Drink!' "'That would be most appreciated,' Weber sighed. Gellert poured the man a generous measure of whiskey and allowed him a few moments to enjoy the warming drink. Cassiopeia evidently was not so patient. "'So what did you find out?' Weber shot her a look of irritation before placing the glass on the desk and removing a roll of parchment from within his pocket. Harry Evans, he began. No known date or place of birth. Parentage unknown. Began attending Hogwarts in September of thirty-five, after being assessed during the summer by Madame Griselda Marchbanks. He scored very highly on his owl and newts. He impressed his defense against the dark arts professor so much that she apprenticed him, one Rosalina Knott. Not? Cassiopeia asked, impressed. She is an exceptional duelist. She could have been a world champion if she didn't choose to teach instead. Weber nodded. She retired from the sport after she inadvertently killed an opponent. I suppose that would explain why Heavens is so competent, Cassie mused aloud. She must have seen something in him to invest so much time into a half-blood. Gellert hummed thoughtfully. Anything else, Herr Weber? Upon graduating, he went on to become an investor, and quite a successful one. He has shares in several thriving businesses. 
yet he put so much effort into becoming exceptionally proficient with his wand. Faber nodded. It makes little sense, Galetta whispered to himself. Is he wealthy? Quite, Faber confirmed. His wealth is increasing daily. So he doesn't need to work? Faber snorted. If his portfolio continues to grow at its current rate, he could retire within five, perhaps ten years at most. Gillette nodded to himself. And no mention of the Flamels? Nothing official. But there's no mention of his parentage. I scoured the entire ministry at great risk, and only came across his exam results. Everything else came from my own digging. Then where did he come from? Evans was quickly becoming a point of frustration. It was public knowledge that he was related to the Flamels, and that his parents had been murdered when he was a babe. But where had he been? Who were his parents? I do not know, Weber answered irritably. This was the first time the man had failed to find what he'd set out for, and it would have stung his pride. And how would you suggest we proceed? That is down to your own discretion, Weber responded. But I believe in this case that Evans is an unknown that cannot be left to chance. If he opposes us the way he did Miss Black, there is no telling what a man like him could do. He should be eliminated at the earliest opportunity. Gillard nodded his agreement. Thank you, Weber, he said gratefully. Go and rest. You have earned it. The German left, and Gillard leaned back in his chair, pondering how best to get to Evans. In Britain he was all but out of reach, and it would not be a favorable place to confront him. No other arrangements would need to be made, and Gillert believed he had the perfect solution. I want the men to move on Norway within the week. When it is captured, only a few hundred will be required to hold it. What of the rest? Cassiopeia asked. I want half sent to Belgium, and the other half brought back. They will be needed for our next move. To deal with Evans? Partly, Gillard confirmed. It just so happens that his demise will tie nicely in with the rest of our plans. Cassiopeia shot him a questioning look, but Gillard dismissed her with a wave. He trusted the woman, but now was not about trust. He needed to be certain in himself with the plan he was formulating, and one formed on emotion would not do. Evans was clever and to catch him off guard, the man would need to be taken by surprise, placed in a peril he could not prepare for. Yes, Gillard's plan would be perfect, but before it could be executed, other things required his attention. Evans must wait for the time being, until other things came to fruition, and preparations are made towards the next step of achieving victory. The man wouldn't even know that his death was all part of a much bigger picture one that would gain Gillert further notoriety than he had already obtained. If Albus didn't confront him after this, his old friend never would, and the path to victory would be all but assured. Harry had been in Copenhagen when Grindelwald's men then all but marched in to lay claim to the country. The resistance met was pathetic, a pantomime showing. The natives were quick to throw down their wands when commanded to do so, and had even cheered when Grindelwald had arrived a short while later to announce his victory here and in Stockholm at the very same time. Harry could only look on in disappointment, wondering where the sense of national pride was. He soon realized it wasn't that it was lacking, but a sense of self-preservation had taken prevalence. Neither the Danish nor the Swedes really cared who was in control, 
They merely wished to get on with their lives without conflict. It just so happened that Grindelwald was the first to arrive here out of the two warring factions. Had it been the men of the ICW, they too would have been welcomed in the hope that the violence seen across the continent wouldn't spill onto their streets. Truthfully, Harry couldn't blame them. But the liberation, as Grindelwald insisted on calling it, would not be so easily undone. Having spent the past weeks living amongst the Danes, there was no planned resistance of which to speak. It seemed that control of the two Scandinavian countries would need to be wrested away from the invaders, and with no assistance from the natives. Harry shook his head frustratedly. The ICW likely wouldn't bother doing so unless it became a necessity. There seemed to have been no rush to deploy men here to defend the people, and if there was even a modicum of truth to the rumors he had heard, it wouldn't be long before the German muggles arrived. What resistance they would meet, Harry knew not, but he hoped the Danish government wouldn't cede their land as easily as their magical counterparts. It irked him still how simple they had made it for Grindelwald to spread his hold, but even more so that he had wasted so much time here in the aftermath hoping to find any indication of rebellion. There was none to speak of, and instead of dwelling on it further, Harry knew it was best to cut his losses and make a reluctant report to Federon so the efforts of the ICW could be spent wherever else they were needed. With a final glance around the bustling magical district of Denmark, Harry passed through the enchanted wall that separated his own kind from the Muggles and activated his port key. Arriving in the headquarters of the ICW, he immediately headed towards Fedorov's office, disappointed that he did not have better news to bring the man. "'Come in,' the familiar voice of his superior bade after he knocked. "'Ah, heavens! I was beginning to wonder when you were going to check in. You are the last to return.' "'Everyone else made it back?' Harry asked. Fedorov nodded, unable to hide his relief. They did, he confirmed. And I suspect your report will be as discouraging as theirs. Harry released a deep sigh. Both Sweden and Denmark are a lost cause from what I've seen, he revealed. Almost no fighting took place when Grindelwald's men arrived, and now it is as though nothing happened. The people are going about their daily lives, the only difference being that they are being watched over by Grindelwald's men instead of their own aurors. How many men? No more than a few hundred, but with both countries having fallen, I expect reinforcements could arrive in a matter of minutes. I think both are lost to us. Fedorov shook his head frustratedly. I feared this would happen, he huffed. We took too long to mount our defenses, and now we find ourselves playing catch-up. Although it pains me to admit it, we had no choice but to make a few tactical sacrifices whilst we focus on the defense of more important nations. Does that mean Norway will be allowed to fall too? Harry pressed. I expect so. Fedorov grumbled unhappily. If it were down to me, it would not be this way, but thankfully it is not. Difficult choices have had to be made, and though I cannot morally agree with conceding even one defeat, I believe the right decisions have been made. If Grindelwald is smart, he will take Norway in the coming days. Sitting back and simply allowing it did not sit right with Harry, but he was in no position to do anything about it. Grindelwald would arrive in force and if the Norwegians followed the example of the two other Scandinavian countries, they would offer a little fight in favor of saving their own lives. Harry deflated at the thought. In Poland, he had been able to catch Grindelwald's men unaware, but they wouldn't fall for such a thing a second time, and Harry trying to resist whatever number of men was sent was too risky by himself. As much as it pained him to admit, Fedorov and whomever was in charge of the tactics was right. Take a few days off, Evans. Fedorov urged. We already have men in Norway, and if you are needed, I will send for you. 
Harry nodded tiredly as he stood. He could do with a rest to clear his head. He had slept little recently, and a freshly cooked meal would be most welcome. Besides, he needed to write to Minerva and pay a visit to Nicholas and Perinel to check on them and see how they were coping with everything that had unfolded since his last visit. Having lived through countless wars already, he suspected they were fine, but he wouldn't feel safe in that knowledge until he saw them for himself. It used to be that Wizengamot meetings would occur perhaps once a month, twice if something important needed to be discussed before the next. Now three per week were being held, and though Charles was honored to be amongst the other lords and ladies, it felt to him that much time was being wasted. This morning had been nothing more than a briefing to inform them that the British men who were now overseas had yet to be involved in any fighting. Charles had assumed that had been the case, and that if there was a battle of which to speak, the Daily Prophet would cover it. The Ministry was being overcautious in Charles's opinion, not that he could blame them, really. A war was the last thing that any nation wanted to be involved in. Even though Charles had only had a sample of combat, he wasn't so keen on experiencing it again, and it only made his respect for his father grow. The Lord Potter had left England once more, this time for an indeterminate period of time. Charles was worried. As a son, he feared for the safety of the man that had raised, had taught him much of what he knew about the world and magic. At any given moment, William Potter could be taken away from him, yet Charles had to remain strong. His mother needed him, as did the responsibilities that came with being in charge of the Potter family. As such, he found himself in a subdued diagonality that was noticeably bereft of men who had volunteered their services for the war. Charles had business to discuss with the goblins, another meeting he was not looking forward to, but one that would teach him much about the family finances. His father had insisted he request to be shown and talked through the Potter accounts in his absence. He was nearing the bank when his attention was grabbed by someone familiar leaving Madame Malkins, and he quickened his pace to catch up with her. "'Miss Black!' he called when he was a short distance away. The woman stopped, her expression gaunted when she realized who it was that had addressed her. "'Have I done something to offend you?' Charles asked. "'You didn't reply to my last letter.' The two of them had been writing to each other, something that had suddenly stopped recently, and Charles didn't understand why. Doria shook her head and shot him an apologetic look. "'I thought that after what Cassie did you wouldn't want to speak with me any more,' she explained confusedly. Charles chuckled. "'I don't hold what she did against you,' he assured her. "'I know you're not like her.' Doria raised an eyebrow in his direction. "'What makes you so sure?' she asked challengingly. "'Why, you haven't tried to kill me?' "'Not yet,' Doria pointed out. Charles grinned and held his arms out wide. "'You could if you wanted to,' he offered. "'You could do it before I could even get close to my wand.' "'Don't tempt me, Potter,' Doria snorted. "'You know, my life would be easier if I didn't know you. "'But certainly duller.' "'Doria narrowed her eyes, but conceded the point with a nod. "'I was warned about the Potter arrogance.' "'I think you mean charm,' Charles corrected. "'Doria hummed. "'Maybe someone would take pity on you and call it charming.' "'And that is the acid tongue of the blacks,' Charles returned amusedly. "'You're a reckless fool, Mr. Potter,' Doria sighed. "'Most people are too frightened to talk to me.' They're rightfully scared of what Arcturus would do to them. Charles laughed heartily. I'm not frightened of your brother. No, I don't suppose you are. Should I be? Doria shook her head. No, he thinks highly of you, but for the life of me I can't see why. Ouch, Charles groaned, clutching his chest dramatically. You really are a prat, Doria huffed as she walked towards the apparition point. 
Does that mean you're right back to me? Trellis called. I'll think about it, Doya replied, eliciting a smile from the potter air. Having bumped into the woman, the meeting with the goblins didn't seem so bad now, and Charles made his way towards the bank, feeling a little brighter than when he had left the Wizengamot chambers only a short while before. Nicholas looked at the young man seated before him. Never in all his centuries of life had he seen one man carry so many burdens, and certainly not with the grace and strength that Harry did. In the months that had passed since he had seen him, the final vestiges of youth had ebbed away and though he was still little more than a boy to the old alchemist, Harry had grown into a fine man. From when he had arrived and the ritual had been carried out by himself and his wife, Nicholas had watched Harry become what he was now. His talent seemed to know no bounds, but it was the aesthetics that caught the Frenchman's eye. He could see the potters in him, the dark and messy hair, and even in the jawline. The higher cheekbones may have come from his mother, but Nicholas and Perronel both had those too. The rest Nicholas couldn't be certain, but there was an undeniable familial resemblance in Harry's features. "'You are eager for the war to be over?' Harry nodded, and Nicholas chuckled to himself. As much as he had grown, there was still naivety there. "'I would not get my hopes up for a quick resolution, Harry,' he urged. "'Wars can drag off for the years, and I believe that this will be one of them.' "'Me too,' Harry murmured. "'This is only the beginning, but so much has already happened, and much more is yet to come.' Nicholas replied. Hello seems to be setback after setback, but when real fighting begins, he will not be so one-sided. Your victories will come, and I have no doubt that it will be you that emerges on the other side triumphantly. What about the others? Nicholas nodded his understanding and offered the boy a comforting smile. Many will die, as is the way of war. You cannot save everyone, Harry, as much as you would like to. I know, Harry huffed but that doesn't mean I won't try. Nicholas placed a hand on the young man's shoulder. You have lost much already, and perhaps you will lose more, he sighed. I hope that is not happen, but you must remember to never lose yourself. In times of war there must be no doubt, no hesitation. You must be more ruthless than the enemy you face. If you are not willing to do to them what they will do to you, you will lose. I am, Harry replied. Ever since I lost Sirius, or when the ritual was done, I have not been hesitant to kill when needed. It's like there's something inside of me that reminds me of what has already been taken from me. There is, Nicholas pointed out. You have absorbed this soul of one that took steps no other had taken before, all in the name of self-preservation, a ruthless and dangerous man, if what you have said is correct. Voldemort, Nicholas nodded. As much as you despise him, you have taken on some of his more useful qualities, and those of myself and my wife who also sought our own immortality. You have our blood and his soul, but you are also the same as you have always been. You care for people, Harry, and the same desire to survive is projected onto those you hold in your heart. As much as you wish to live, you do not wish to do so at the expense of them. I believe that is what gives you that ruthlessness. Harry nodded his agreement. That you have also lost so much only fuels it, Nicholas continued. It is that heart and anchor that you draw on as much as it is the desire to see those you care for survive. It is protectiveness, and the anger you have held on to, it makes you a very dangerous man to cross. I suppose that is what I have to be, 
It is, Nicholas agreed. People do not win wars by shaking hands and fighting fairly. No, they do not, Harry mused aloud. Nicholas gave his shoulder a squeeze. Now have you eaten? Harry shook his head. Then you will join us for dinner, and then you will rest. I will not be argued with on that. Harry laughed as Nicholas Albert Frog marched him from the library and towards the dining room, where Perinel was undoubtedly preparing a meal for their guest. As always, the woman doted on the young man the moment she laid eyes on him, checking that he was unhurt and forcing him into a seat at the table, where she watched as he ate until she was satisfied he'd had enough. "'You'll need a shave, Harry,' she said disapprovingly. "'You know where the bathroom is. You'll enjoy a soak, and then you will come back and join us for dessert, oui?' Harry knew not to argue with Perinel, and with a nod he kissed the woman on the cheek and took his leave of the dining room. "'If my hair wasn't already grey, he would be the cause for it becoming that way,' Perinel sighed. "'He is doing too much, Nicolas.' "'He is,' Nicholas agreed. "'But it is not our place to tell him. He needs us to be there for him as somewhere to escape from all that he does.' Perinel nodded reluctantly. Do you think he will ever know peace? I do, Nicholas said confidently. But it must be Harry that takes it for himself. Perinel said nothing and kept her thoughts to herself while she sipped her tea. It was only a few minutes later that Harry returned. He had managed to shave, but his hair was sodden wet, and he had dressed in a hurry. What is it? Nicholas questioned. Norway has been taken, Harry informed them. I have to go. Nicholas watched as the boy gathered his things, said a hurried goodbye to them and his wife, and was gone only a moment later, leaving behind a worried woman and a man that wished there was more he could do for him. For this and other stories by the same author, visit leemacusker.com, as well as the fanfiction.net page of The Black's Resurgence. Music by Dr. James Benigoff and Sakiko. If you would like to commission me to record a story, voiceover, or character, please get in touch using the contact information on my website, which is located at samgabrielvo.com. And there you can find other stories that I've read, as well as links to my Patreon page, to which I hope you consider subscribing to support me, and my Discord server, where I record things live for your enjoyment. And finally, as always, thank you for listening.